Good Monday to you, and welcome in to We the Fans, as I am Joe Hunk, and uh, I'm giving you a little bit of a different backdrop today as we are in our studio that I normally broadcast from on 97.7 ESPN The Zone in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, going to get uh, everybody set up and get everybody in as we are going along on this Monday. So how did your Monday go? Because we had a crazy five days. I know that the last time that I talked to everybody, that uh, we were getting ready for Black Friday. You were getting ready for the the weekend with Thanksgiving, and so there. And so that that was some some of the questions that we have now. If you were in on Black Friday, um, how did it go for you? Because uh, Black Friday was a little weird, and I made sure that I tried uh, to go uh, to Fayetteville, Tennessee, because I tried to outsmart everybody. And I uh, I tried to outsmart everybody, and I went to Fayetteville, and I stood in line for an hour and a half to be the next person in line after the PS5 sold out. So um, if you've been able to get a PS5, you are lucky. And there's like a math equation to trying to trying to figure this out. Gracie said that she did zero Black Friday shopping. Look, all of my shopping so far has been online. That's where I've done everything uh, because, one, I don't like being around people uh, in these things, not because I'm scared of COVID or anything like that. I just don't like being around people sometimes. And so I tried to uh, limit that as much as I possibly could. Uh, make sure if you are hopping on to uh, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a share. Make sure that you follow KCPN. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, all of those places that you can. And so that way that you're going to know that not only when we are live here on We The Fans, that uh, also you can make sure that you listen to The Spoken, Midwest Mics, uh, some of the other things that, that are going on. Uh, throughout uh, KCPN and what's going on. Look, if you missed it, and I'm saying this to everybody that's hopping on uh, right now as we get everybody into the chat, if you missed the conversation that The Spoken had on Friday night, again, I know it's Friday night, I know it was Black Friday, but if you missed that conversation, make sure that you go back into the KCPN video archives and you watch it because it was a tremendous Show, but also a tremendous uh, interview that they did at the very beginning of the show with a tremendous group of ladies that are doing a lot of things in the Kansas City area as well as hopefully throughout sports. Uh, and let's go ahead and let's start there because I know that there's probably a lot of Alabama and Auburn fans that are that are hopping on right now, and uh, we will talk about the Iron Bowl at some point in time. It was ugly, so we're going to hold off on that until all of our, our Auburn and Alabama fans kind of hop on. But 
Uh, let's start with ladies in sports because Sarah Fuller was the biggest story in college sports this weekend happening at Vanderbilt. Now, uh, there's some goods and bads to this. And so I'm going to tell you that I'm going to be very honest with you on uh, on the show today because there are some things that we have learned in the last 24 to 48 hours about the Sarah Fuller incident. I'm calling it an incident, but um, unfortunately, this was apparently a huge publicity stunt. Um, and and I'll explain as, as this goes along. This does not hurt what she did on Saturday because Vanderbilt got their tails waxed by Missouri. Larry Roundtree went off. I think he had three touchdowns, had over 100-something yards, maybe even 200 yards rushing, beat just absolutely embarrassed that Vanderbilt defense. It was a tremendous performance by him, and that was with the late hit on the sidelines. That was a cheap shot, and and it was everything that it should have been as far as penalties and everything is concerned. But we all know what happened after the half. Vanderbilt had not scored. They honestly, I'm assuming they believed that they were not going to score. And so they let Sarah Fuller do the uh, do opening kick or do the kickoff for the second half. Um, it is amazing, first off, that she is was able to get on field. This isn't a, a – she wasn't unworthy, okay? This was not a scenario where they just chose a soccer player at Vanderbilt, put her out there, and – and she was just some girl that they that she was strategically picked because Vanderbilt felt that she was the best option to go on the football field for them. Now, if you do not know, because of contact tracing, because of COVID tests and positive tests, the kickers for Vanderbilt were zero. They had none. And so they had a couple of options. They could have went with somebody that that had kicking experience in high school meaning Derek Mason went into the team meeting that he was having in some big room in Vanderbilt which I don't know if they have that but at real SEC schools they have that and he said all right who kicked in high school who used to be a kicker we're going to try you out because we need a kicker on Saturday so he may have done that, and the guys raised their hands. They went out and kicked and said, okay, no, this isn't it. So then Derek Mason came up with the idea, hey, let's go to the soccer team. Now, Vanderbilt only has a women's soccer team. They do not have men's soccer. This is part of Title IX and trying to balance out the scholarships. If you do not know, Vanderbilt soccer team actually won the SEC championship uh, earlier this month in November down in, uh, down in, in lower Alabama. And so she had an assist in one of those games. And when I say she is a goalkeeper, Sarah Fuller is the goalkeeper for the women's soccer team at Vanderbilt. She had an assist in one of these games down in lower Alabama where she blocked a kick. She turned around. She kicked it. It went about 50 to 75 percent the length of the of the soccer field and led to a goal for Vanderbilt. So that's how strong of a leg she actually has. Vanderbilt came up with this idea. They approached her. Obviously, she was game for it. Then comes the stuff that we've been told over the course of the the last 24 hours, especially here at 97.7. Vanderbilt never truly gave her 
time to warm up as a kicker. She barely even practiced kicking a football this week. She would go to photo shoots that Vanderbilt had set up to to make to market the fact that she was going to be kicking on Saturday. Uh, that every opportunity that she would have to go in and try to work on her kicking, Vanderbilt went and did something with a, did PR stuff with her, did interviews or uh, did uh, photo shoots or did publicity stuff. And it was she never had the opportunity to truly work on her kicking craft. If you watched SEC Nation uh, earlier on Saturday morning, they did about a five to ten minute long segment where they showed Sarah Fuller warming up, kicking field goals. I don't believe that this was her first opportunity at really trying to kick field goals, but it may have only been her second because she never really had time to practice all week long. And so if you watched her kicking, she was kicking like a soccer kicker and like somebody would kick a soccer ball. And this is nothing about guy versus girl. This is not anything uh, about not being able to be a football player. When I first started playing golf, 16 years old, I got golf clubs for Christmas one year, and um, I went out for my very first round of golf without ever, I don't even think I ever went to a driving range. I swung the golf club like it was a baseball club or a baseball bat. I said, that's exactly how I swung it. I had the finish. I had everything. There was no, it didn't look like a golfer's swing. They resemble each other because you're both using your your arms and your hips to swing, but they were never actually used in the same way. So over time, I had to develop a golf swing. And if you've played baseball, you've played golf, you kind of see how one can resemble the other. You can use one to play the other, but at some point in time, you have to you know, go and differentiate the two swings. She kicked like a soccer kicker. And like a soccer, like she was kicking a soccer ball. Every time the football went off of her foot, it was a low trajectory. Honestly, if if she would have gotten in the game for Vanderbilt against Mizzou, I think that her kick would have been blocked. Whether it was a, a a field goal in the middle of the field, or if it was an extra point attempt, I think that it would have been blocked because it was coming out low and then going up. That's great in soccer. You'll see it a lot of times whenever you're watching a soccer match. You'll see a soccer ball, trying to do this in the video, would start low and then it rises. In football, that's not great. That's not what you want. You want that ball to come off and go up. And that's why the longer kicks, your 50s and 60 yarders that you've seen over the years, you will see the defenders on the line jump up to try to block it because they know it's going to come in a low trajectory. That's kind of what you were seeing from Sarah Fuller. Apparently, according to the people that we've talked to in Nashville, she is remaining on the team for the remainder of the season, which means she's going to be available to kick this weekend. Hopefully, the special teams coach will have more of a a chance to work with her so that she can learn and actually figure out how to kick a football like a football kicker. 
there is a difference. So, congratulations to her. It was it was awesome to see this happening. I think that there are a lot of females that could potentially go this route. I know that there are women that play in true football leagues that are monsters. We know that, and we're on, obviously, in Kansas City with this being KCPM with the 49ers coach and how she lives in Kansas City, how she plays in a women's football league, and how she is a beast. If you do not know that, look her up. She's a beast. Same thing goes. There's some there's some women here in the state of Alabama that play, and they play professionally, and those ladies are monsters. And you have to be careful when you're talking about women because the stereotypes of what of, of a woman being called uh, a monster or being called uh, a hoss or things like that it means that they're large, that they're big, they're ugly, all this other stuff. No, we're talking in football terms. Look, the moment you decide you want to play football, I don't care if you're male or female, we're going to describe you in football terms. Sarah Fuller's a hoss. She got some thick legs and she can kick the football. That's why she was chosen. So with that stuff happening, then you've seen that, you know, there are other women that will be and have the ability to play when it happens. Don't know. But there are some really good lady football players that are out there and some of them probably truly could play for men. If they ever get the chance, that's going to be up for debate. But I've given it enough time. We've got enough people on now. Iron Bowl sucked, okay? Like, it really, really sucked. Now, depending on what side you're, you're on this, it could have been amazing. It could have been really bad. I am somebody that I am an Auburn fan. I'm never going to hide that I'm an Auburn fan. Matter of fact, my ring, you can see it a little bit. It is an Auburn ring. Um, my biggest complaint is that Auburn doesn't show up every single year. Now, there's a reason for this, but Auburn does not show up for the Iron Bowl like it should every single football season. It's about every two to three years, and that is when Auburn will get a win. That's when they'll have like a top 10 football team. And, oh, look, Auburn's good. They end up beating Alabama. Alabama does this every single year. So let me ask you, is it true that in college football, you can actually have a good offensive line year after year after year? I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know that was real until you started watching Clemson and Alabama play. And it seems like year after year, their offensive line remains good. Like, they're, they can block. And I don't mean they can just run block or they can just pass block or they can, you know, triple option block. They can block block. How is that possible? Auburn only does this once every four years. So going into the game on Saturday, and maybe an Auburn fan that, that's watching and, and they, can, they can let me know, this is kind of what you expected from the Iron Bowl, right? Like, was there an Auburn fan that didn't expect this to be an absolute waxing the way that it was? 
because that's exactly what a lot of us expected. That was the reason the line was 24 and a half. There's a major difference in this in this state of Alabama between Alabama and Auburn and the ability to put out good recruiting classes year in and year out. And this is why we talk about the difference between being number 10 in your recruiting class, number nine in your recruiting class, and number two in one. Because if you look at, and, and, and this is the biggest critique, I am not going to sit here on a Monday and say that Auburn fans should be yelling for Gus Malzahn to be terminated. It's a $17 million buyout. Actually, $17.5 million buyout. That would be asinine. It would be. It's asinine that Vanderbilt has fired Derek Mason. It's asinine that South Carolina has fired Will Muschamp. And it's probably going to be asinine that Michigan is going to let go of Harbaugh. Because of it being 2020 and how much money we as a country have lost. The biggest difference in Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and LSU is that Auburn recruits amazing skill players. Tate Bigsby, Bo Nix, Seth Williams, Eli Stove, Anthony Schwartz. This the skill set at Auburn is absolutely tremendous. The offensive line is god-awful, and that is where your recruiting is coming in because you could see the difference on Saturday between an, uh, an offensive line made up of four and five stars and an offensive line made up of three stars. Maybe a four-star here and there. There's a difference in this. So for anybody wanting to bash Bo, I can understand. There were some throws that Bo made on Saturday. Those were 100% his fault. You go and you look at the interception on the out route thrown to Anthony Schwartz. He should not have thrown that football. If he did throw it and he was gung-ho on making that throw, he should have thrown it well before Schwartz made the cut. Because when you run an out route, and specifically on man, when you run the out route and you give the defender time to recognize that it's an out route, he is going to jump the route. And that is exactly what Alabama did. The best way to make sure that you throw the out route pass properly is by timing it. Bo Nix was on the far right hash mark. He made the throw to the far left side of the field. That's about a 40-yard throw just for about a three- or four-yard gain. And he didn't throw it. He didn't time it properly. That, that's a bow mistake. Some of the other ones, you blame on other people. Seth Williams should have made the catch for the touchdown. Totally should have done it. Bo Nix should have been able to put balls in better positions. If you want to grade a quarterback on his elite level, good, great, elite how well can a quarterback hit a hit their wide receiver or tight end in stride? That's going to be it. Bo Nix rarely hits his receivers in stride. The pass to Anthony Schwartz last week against Tennessee was probably the biggest difference between you know the the outlander or the outlandish throw is the difference in that he rarely hits them in stride. 
Matt Jones, on the other hand, hits them, if not in stride, they only have to slow up a little bit. And, you know, that comes with your wide receiver and your quarterback working on their timing a lot after practice and everything and making sure they can read the football and get underneath it while hitting it in stride. So your wide receiver's in this a little bit. But on these quick passes, these slant passes over the middle, your quick outs, uh, you know, your, your hook routes, those sort of things, that is all timing on the quarterback. And, and that is where it comes to if that Bo doesn't make that, Mac Jones does. Mac Jones should be in New York. I put that in quotes because, if you know, we're not having a Heisman ceremony this year. It's all going to be done via Zoom and, and all this other stuff. So the reason why I say he should be in New York is because he will not win the Heisman Trophy. I'm not saying this as somebody that's going to bash Mac Jones. Mac Jones is 100% a Heisman finalist and could, should be one of the front runners. The problem is a player on his own team may take the Heisman votes. Devontae Smith deserves Heisman consideration. Devontae Smith, who was the number two wide receiver on his own team behind Jalen Waddell, who wasn't even getting majority of the passes thrown to him, has over the course of the last five or six games become the premier wide receiver in the country. He is tied for the lead in touchdown passes or touchdown receptions. He is one of the top three wide receivers in the nation when it comes to yards. He's one of the top three wide receivers in the nation when it comes to receptions. And he leads the nation on yards per reception. Brandy, welcome in. Those are all stats that, yes, you can point to Mac Jones being the reason, but Devontae Smith stepping up for Jalen Waddell is the reason why Alabama is dominating as much as they are. This offensive line is tremendous. Najee Harris is a great running back. He leads the country in rushing touchdowns. But Devontae Smith deserves to also be in Heisman consideration because of how dominant of a receiver he has been. And Mac Jones and everything he has done with Devontae Smith being his primary target, I think Devontae catches like one out of every three passes thrown from Mac Jones. They go to Devontae Smith. He should be part of the Heisman consideration. I don't know what you think. You can throw in the comments. You can comment on Twitter. You can comment on Facebook, Twitch. You can comment there as well. He deserves to be in the Heisman conversation. If he is, that's going to be a totally different story, but he absolutely should. That also being said, Kyle Trask is still and should still be your Heisman winner as of today. Against Kentucky? He had his worst game of the year statistically. 256 yards passing, three touchdowns. That was his lowest output on both of those so far this season. And he's still on pace to break Florida's record for most touchdowns thrown by a Florida quarterback. That means more than Danny Warfel. That means more than Steve Spurrier. That means more than Tim Tebow. All of which are Heisman winners for Florida. Florida. 
So it's so you're automatically telling me that he is having a better season right now than majority of the Heisman winners. Yet he is not and he hasn't won the Heisman just yet. That's where a lot of these questions pop in. We appreciate you watching on Twitter as well. He probably should be your Heisman finalist and your Heisman winner. What's going to be interesting is when you have three or four guys from the southeastern or from the southeastern part of the United States going in for for the Heisman vote because I don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to be there. I don't know if Justin Fields is even going to play enough football games for him to be there. So let's ask you, okay, should Ohio State be considered for the college football playoff if they're only playing about five games? Now, they're on track to still play on Saturday. But if they have to cancel one of their next two games, they're not eligible for the Big Ten championship game. The only way they would be eligible is if the Big Ten averages fewer than six games played this football season per team. Right now, they're not on pace. Wisconsin helped out with that. They helped that number a little bit. So what do you do? If you're the playoff committee, which we'll see that tomorrow, if you're the playoff committee, do you still consider Ohio State to be a part of this equation, or is this really starting to build up where you could have two ACC teams, two SEC teams, they're playing each other for the national championship? Or do you throw in a BYU or something along those lines where their strength of schedule is nowhere close to what the the SEC or the Big Ten or even the ACC is? In fact, the SEC's power rankings are even better and their strength of schedule is even better because they're only playing each other. They're not playing Western Michigan. They're not playing any of this. Sippy, how's it going? I'm glad you're on. Because that that makes me want to ask you, because what did you think of the Egg Bowl? And and I'm curious, (laughs) Southern Miss still needs a coach. Have you heard the rumor about who Southern Miss's coach may be? Apparently, Brett Bielema has interviewed for the Southern Miss job. Mm. Uh. You're bringing three yards in a cloud of dust football with you if he does come, man. He does. That could be that could be very boring, and that could be bad football, especially in CUSA where everybody's made up of the spread. But the Egg Bowl. That game was just sad. It was. Offensively, oh, man, it was great. You had big touchdown after big touchdown. You had some great plays. But, God, did it just look sad. Like, in January, in January, we were so excited. Were we not? How great is the Egg Bowl going to be? Mike Leach. Les Miles, or not Les Miles, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin. These two are going to be so great leading up to it. And then they just, both teams have played awful. Mississippi State couldn't get any offense going with K.J. Costello. Will Rogers has become the starting quarterback for them. 
You have Matt Corral. And you're right. You're right. Thank you. He at least said it. No one wanted to win. Like, Ole Miss had every opportunity, even with their bad defense, to not let Mississippi State score, and yet Mississippi State still somehow found out how to score. And, and it was like nobody wanted to even be there. I had friends that were there. They didn't even want to be there. It was like, this is not what we signed up to be. This is not what we signed up for. It was a god-awful football game. And the sad thing was, Mississippi State shouldn't ever even had the opportunity for that last pass into the end zone to even tie it up. But somehow they got there. They kicked the field goal down by 10. They got the football back after stopping Ole Miss. And then, boom, they had the opportunity. It was horrific football. And somehow it was disguised as two high-powered offenses when that's not what it was. These two offenses are – one of them is great. Ole Miss's offense is great. Their defense, arguably the worst in the SEC. Arguably the worst outside of Vanderbilt. Arguably the worst in the SEC. And still, Mississippi State could only score 24 points on that that defense. Oh, they absolutely had. And the defense was just so bad by both teams that – you were watching this game, and, and I watched it, and then I went back and rewatched it over uh, yesterday, and I'm just sitting there like this going, I know I should be paying attention to this. I know that this is the Egg Bowl, and it's, you know, it's, the, it's the biggest marquee game in the state of Mississippi, but oh my heavens, this is so bad. It was so bad to watch, and now with Auburn losing... Mississippi State and Auburn are most likely going to play on the 19th. The SEC has invoked these six-day rules for their, for their viewing, and the main reason was is because they're having to fix these matchups so that they can get some of these games that were canceled earlier in the season rescheduled. Most people didn't know this. Up until Saturday night at about 6.30, Auburn was still in the SEC championship race because they only had two losses. They still had two games remaining. If Auburn would have beat Alabama, which is a laughing, just a joke now, if Auburn would have beat Alabama and LSU would have beat Alabama, then Auburn would have been representing the SEC West in the SEC championship game as long as they beat Texas A&M this weekend. But now that they've lost, the SEC can schedule more of these December 19th football games to go along with the SEC championship game, which most likely this weekend will be decided because all Alabama has to do is beat LSU or Texas A&M loses at Auburn, and the same thing goes for Florida with Georgia. which And that is the reason why the SEC is having to wait is because they can't schedule these games and then one of these teams make it to the SEC championship and they've got to reschedule everything. So that's why even I think that even coming up here in the next little bit, maybe in the next few days, you're going to see this SEC rule take place again where they're going to use their six-day window because on Sunday of this week, they're going to reschedule a bunch of football games. And so what I think is, is Alabama and Florida are going to be playing in the SEC championship in two weeks. I think then you're going to 
have Auburn versus Mississippi State in two weeks, and there's going to be a, a kind of a, a ripple down effect in, in, in this essence. So that's what I believe is going to be happening now. Sippy says that, that the Chiefs better not draft any defensive player out of the entire state of Mississippi. 100% agree. No. If you're the Chiefs right now, you've got your offense pretty much set. To me, you do go offensive line at this point in time. Again, that's just thinking about it as we speak. Your defensive line is set. Your secondary is playing very well. It's your offensive line because you have invested a ton of money in Mahomes and you need to go offensive line. That's my opinion and what they need to be need to be looking for, either offensive line or linebackers. That, that to me today... <laughs> that today is is what I would say that that the Chiefs need to do in the draft. Most likely, unless you're in the top four or five, you're not going to get a a marquee offensive lineman, but you may be able to get a very solid linebacker later on in the draft depending on how how far you are we know the chiefs are going to be probably one of the last four teams picking in the draft they may be number 32 i know that a lot of us want them to be number 32 but that is what you you should be looking for just right now with Kansas City with people the players that have have went out because of covid because they've opted out of the season because of players that have retired players that have moved on the offensive line to me is going to be the biggest thing that the chiefs need to look at going into the going into the the draft that's it um would kelsey be pissy if we got a a, a tight end first or second round First of all, no, I don't think he would. But at the same time, I think it'd be a waste of a pick. Mainly because unless you were getting one of the number one or number two tight ends in the country, there's no real reason to go out and get a, t- a tight end. Because most tight ends you're going to be able to get in the third or fourth round, depending. And I'm, let me look up, because I'm doing this totally on the fly based on what you're asking, Sipsy. Let me see who the best tight end in the country is right now uh, based on your receiving numbers. Because you definitely do not want a tight end that is okay so your best tight ends right now look it is the best tight end in the country is Kyle Pitts okay there's no chance on this earth that the Chiefs are going to be in line to get Kyle Pitts he's probably going to be top 10 draft possibly you do have some guys on the West Coast, Kate Oten, uh, that may be one of the top ones. But if you're talking about draft right now, and let's look up what some draft prospects are right now as far as some players that could come out tight end-wise, then I don't believe that from a tight end perspective that they're going to be in the market for them because you've got guys, Brevin Jordan is going to be a junior. You've also got Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin is going to be a junior. And there's a Penn State tight end as well that is considered about uh, right now a late second round third pick. 
interesting, and maybe that's what they're trying to and so find here. I don't think neither, neither really that I think that you're more likely to go into your free agent market and being able to pull us a number two tight end. Uh, you've obviously got there's a train rolling through right behind the building, just to let you know if you can hear that. I just think the guy who's explosive and the better athlete is Hunter Bryant. So I'm still shocked that he's Sam Harrell. You asked about the UNC quarterback. Sam Harrell is a good quarterback. I think clear is that the tight end class wasn't that great, and I think you're kind of seeing that play out now. This train is loud. Much, you know, guy that just jumps out of the. Sam Harrell is a great quarterback. Guys, you have to take. I think that a lot of people are going to be gun shy, gun shy on him because of Mitchell Trubisky, because of how hyped up Mitch Trubisky was and coming out of North Carolina and falling flat on his face. There's a part of me, and there's always going to be a part of me. Winning matters, okay? And to me, you have got to come from a program that knows how to win when you're not supposed to, or knows how to win when you get punched in the face. Just a good quarterbacks from North Carolina to me don't know how to do that. At Charlotte, and he goes. You know, if people go, well, Mahomes came from Texas Tech. Go back and watch some of Mahomes' football games. They were high scoring, and a lot of times they were high scoring is because Mahomes would score, and his defense would give up the give up a touchdown, and he'd have to go right back out and score again. And that was what you saw from Texas Tech. Mahomes knew how to get down the field and get into the end zone quickly, and that's the reason why. Why he's a quarterback that he is now. I love them them drafting Clyde Edwards Hilaire. The I don't know if Le'Veon Bell is going to be a long term secondary option. What's in your wallet? And <laughs> no, there's not a television on. That's a train. There is a train that is about to roll through here. In fact, I can hear it right now going down the tracks. Where my studio is, directly behind me, is a train track. Like I'm looking, and I'm like right down there is the train tracks. So whenever you're doing, we're doing the show on the air, or on here, the the train is going. The whenever the train comes through, you're going to be able to hear it. So that's what you're hearing right now, is you're hearing the train tracks. Uh, I'm very skeptical of any quarterback from your Cincinnati's, from your, your North Carolinas, because I want to see how they handle adversity. Oh, yeah, I'm watching, you know, was it 316 to Yuma or whatever it is that they just redid a couple of years ago? I'm, I'm re-watching that. I'm, actually, we've got somebody in the studio that's playing Red Dead Redemption, and they went to, to rob a train, and so that's kind of of the sounds that you're hearing uh, through the through the speakers right now and, and through my microphone. So yeah, no, it's a train that's been rolling through. Searching for meaning. Um, so for me, I do put Sam Ellinger. I don't know if he knows how to win. I, did, I mean, from a from an athletic standpoint, he's a good quarterback. I just don't know if he knows how to win. And I do put a lot of stock in that. Look at Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray knew how to win at Oklahoma. You know, and that's it. Sam Ellinger is another Tebow. He may, he may absolutely be another Tebow. And I think his throwing motion is better. I don't think he's athletic as Tebow is. And I think that he would transition into an NFL offense better. But I don't think that he would transition into it enough so that it would be a 
three wide receivers. Something that you're talking about with him being a starting quarterback. Kyle Trask, he should be one of your top three quarterbacks off the board. Mac Jones should be one of your top three quarterbacks off the board. Um, you know, Ian Book, I don't know about him because he hasn't really – Ian Book's had this one season where he's playing very well, and I don't know if it's enough of a uh, of a resume for him to see if he should be the one. Trevor Lawrence, to me, is still the number one quarterback. Unless you, you look at the Jets or something along those lines, and then I just feel sorry for him. But Ian Book right now, he is a senior. He has the opportunity to, to go pro. Really, Derek King. Derek King, to me, is very interesting because he hasn't proven that he's a winner. Actually, he's proven more that he's a quitter. Because he quit on Houston, he uh, he he opted out last season, and because a ton of Houston players were opting out, he went to Miami, and he's done well. But he still hasn't had that game-changing performance yet. Um, in fact, in the biggest game that they've had, they've, he he struggled. So I think that he could be somebody that may be good in the NFL, but as far as premier quarterbacks, I don't think that he is one of those. Uh, I could absolutely see your Trevor Lawrence's, your Kyle Trask, your Mac Jones, maybe Ian Book. I really want to see how the NFL is grading him out because he is showing that he's got that winner's mentality, and I think that in 2020, that's a lot more important than what it was a long time ago because you need to have a mentally tough quarterback, and I don't think that there's enough mentally tough quarterbacks in college football and in the NFL right now, and that's the reason why you're seeing the turnover. Sam Darnold is not a mentally tough quarterback. I think maybe Daniel Jones may be if he stays healthy. But look at your Terry Bridgewater. Terry Bridgewater, he is mentally tough. With everything that he's went through from Minnesota to New Orleans to, to now with Carolina, he's a mentally tough quarterback. I think he's good. Matt Ryan can throw up some stats, man, but he obviously isn't winning you a football game. We've seen that. So I don't think he's mentally tough. I think that there's a lot to being the mentally tough quarterback and I think that's the reason why you're going to see these bigger name quarterbacks are going to be getting the love a lot more on there. And, and so that's why I would go with your Kyle Trask and your Mac Jones because they know how to win and they know how to come back whenever they are down. Mac Jones really hasn't had to see that this year outside of the Ole Miss game. But you're going to see this because Trevor Lawrence is, you know, his first game back this weekend was against a POS team, so you really couldn't base anything off of that. But you'll see it in, in the college football playoff when he plays is, is how mentally tough he is. And I think Kyle Trask is extremely mentally tough, and I think that he is going to be a quarterback in all reality. This Alabama-Florida game could be a, a field goal-type football game right now. Alabama's defense has improved week to week, and you really can't base what Florida did against Kentucky on if their defense is improving because they only gave up 10 points because it's Kentucky. I mean, come on, let's be honest. I mean, Kyle Trask had a great game. He got Kyle Pitts back. But I think that that you're going to see that this Florida-Alabama SEC championship game, there's not 
an unlikely shot that this may not also be your national championship game as well. Because if both of those teams get in, I think that both of those teams potentially could beat Clemson or Notre Dame. So that's where this is going to be very interesting if Ohio State doesn't play enough football games. Oregon's already lost to Oregon State. They're out of the college football playoff discussion. Oklahoma State's already lost. Are we really going to put Iowa State in from the Big 12? Are we really going to put Oklahoma in from the Big 12 after they've already got two losses? And Book is great right now. I wouldn't call him the GOAT, but he is playing tremendous right now. And we see that week in, week out. Go back and look, his stat line from the North Carolina game this weekend is not a stat line that is going to blow you out of the water. And when you look at it, you're like, we only had one touchdown. He didn't even have a rushing touchdown. And they beat North Carolina. It was a ranked versus ranked game, so let's put that into perspective first. He's playing on the road. And go back and watch how many plays he made out of nothing from from his offensive line blocking legally enough for him to find an open receiver or this man was doing shuffle passes 10, 15 yards down the field for first downs on third down. He's doing shuffle passes for that. He is playing tremendous right now. And so that's why, like, at the moment, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Ian Book, Devontae Smith. Those are my four right now. Because Trevor Lawrence being out for numerous weeks, weeks I think, hurts him. Justin Fields is not playing in enough football games right now for him to be a true contender. I think that if there are four people that are on the Zoom call, I think that that Devontae Smith is going to be your fourth guy right now. Um, unless Trevor Lawrence kind of picks up the pace and you start seeing four and five touchdown passes from him over the course of the next few weeks. And again, we also have another AC championship game that's most likely going to be Clemson and Notre Dame. That's just me. That's what that's the way I'm seeing it. But over this weekend, specifically in the SEC, you do have Alabama, LSU. You've got Auburn, Texas A&M. Those are going to be your marquee games of the weekend because Texas A&M still has that outside shot of making it into the college football playoff. The only way they can make it into the college football playoff is going to be if Florida loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Florida shouldn't have a tough weekend. They're going to Knoxville to play Tennessee. Tennessee is absolutely god-awful. Arkansas and Mizzou are playing, so that game doesn't affect the SEC championship at all. Georgia is hosting Vanderbilt, which the only thing that does is we will most likely see that if Florida will for some reason were to lose and Georgia win, then you're talking about Georgia in the SEC championship. And those are basically your games outside of South Carolina and Kentucky. Nobody cares about those from any playoff circumstances whatsoever. So that's kind of our week in a nutshell that we're going to have. I'm going to be down in Auburn uh, for the Texas A&M and Auburn game. That's going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff. And so you 
you'll be able to watch that game. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Hunk, and I'll be getting those games for you. I want to take him over. And obviously, Alabama LSU is just going to be a bloodbath. Like that is just going to be an ugly football game. TJ Finley is not a great quarterback if he's even starting. Look, if you miss LSU and Texas A&M, Finley threw two touchdowns. One was tremendous defensive play. Actually, both of them were, were great defensive plays by Texas A&M by getting pressure. He doesn't do well under pressure, and he makes very bad decisions. First interception that he threw, ball gets tipped at the line of scrimmage or tipped by a linebacker in the second tier. Then you see the Texas A&M cornerback uh, dive underneath it to make the catch. The second play, second play was just was just Finley making trying to do something that he shouldn't have done, and he throws a lob pass directly over the middle. Texas A&M intercepts it for a a touchdown, and they have a pick six. And Finley's pulled from that, so we don't even know if Finley's going to be starting for LSU going into Alabama this week. They are hosting them. That game's going to be a seven o'clock kick on CBS. CBS gets their their kick, their late night kick that they've been wanting. They're going to have the Florida Tennessee game, so this is also going to be their double header week. And again, the way that that Auburn and Texas A&M is going is the moment Corso puts on the headgear, they're going to send it right to Auburn for Auburn, Texas A&M. So, as we're wrapping up today, we appreciate everybody that has tuned in, uh, interacted on, on the tweets, on the comments, on the Twitter feed, all of that. We appreciate you. Make sure that you follow the Kansas City Podcast Network uh, on all of your social media feeds. We're putting content out like crazy. Make sure that you go and you watch the Spoken Show uh, from Friday night because it was just absolutely tremendous with the interview that they had at the very beginning and they were at Johnny's Tavern. Exactly the way he needs it to make the system work. And this is what Bill Belichick likes about this player. I'm certain, again, he's an out. They were at Johnny's Tavern uh, on 119. So make sure that you go and visit those guys. And has average to above average pass rush ability. But try behind the studio. I'm going to go because the train is loud. Love you guys. Talk to y'all next Monday on We The Fans. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired sports commentator Dick Vitale. Tonight's matchup is me versus an ugly fender bender. If I can eat out a win, it would be a miracle, baby. Um, Mr. Vitale, it wouldn't be a miracle because GEICO gives you a team of experts to help manage your claim. That's going to be a nail-biter. Nope. The GEICO team is there for you 24-7. Now that's a dipsy dude, Dunkaroo, of a claims team. GEICO is awesome, baby, with a capital A. GEICO. Great service without all the drama. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.